All the best music, sports, and podcasts right now on FAULradio.com. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Below the Yellow Line podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lanny Pavlon. What me, Steve Rita. Today is August 3rd at 12... April 3rd. <laughs> I knew you were looking for it. The one time, one time. Yes, today is... April 3rd. If it were August 3rd, we'd be packing for a hurricane. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Easter's coming up. Passover's coming up. So, you know, for you guys. Can we just pass over you? <laughs> no wonder we eat matzo on Passover. <laughs> and, of course, you know, folks are celebrating Ramadan. It's just one of those deals where people end up on the dinner table at night. But, anyways, we're going to talk about racing. We have a lot to cover. But before we get started, let's talk about the FAU Owls. The FAU Owls did great on Saturday. Sadly, they couldn't pull off the win to advance to the national championship. But getting to the Final Four, that was still amazing for them. It was awesome to see this happen. Especially me being a guest around campus, seeing this for the first time, seeing everything going on. This was a great experience. The team did great. And hopefully next year they can do the same thing again. They did absolutely outstanding in this NCAA tournament. Um, from only entering once, having never won a game, and coming back and nearly making it to the very last stage, the FAU Owls put on an absolutely cracking performance from start to finish. And boy, we were so close. It's a shame it ended the way it did, but... You know, congratulations to everybody from Donnell Davis to Vladislav Golden and, of course, Coach Dusty May, who put this incredible team together. They deserve all the credit out there. Yes. Um, but before we get into our topic of motorsports, as always, we had a very tragic situation that happened on campus. Um, that night. On Saturday night in the Glades Park Towers dorm. Steve, explain what happened. Uh, pretty much we had a student, we believe, that possibly committed suicide. We don't know the full story as of yet. Nothing has been discovered. But please, if you guys need help, there is counseling for FAU students. For FAU counseling psychological services, call 561-297-CAPS. For the suicide crisis and lifeline, call 988. Uh, the veteran crisis lifeline, call 988 and press 1. For assistance, find mental health providers in your area, call 211. So hopefully you guys can reach out. Trust me, everyone thinks it might be a matter of... It'll get rid of the pain fully. It won't. It'll put a lot of pain into others. Yes, it does. Try to seek out help, and maybe someone can help you. And there are people who are out there that care about you, that want, you know, to see you win in this world. Um, suicide, you know, I hear stories about it. I've had personal, you know, situations like that. You know, you can't look far to see that it is common ground, and... You know, mental health is very serious. Um, please don't be afraid to talk about it. Sometimes just even doing that 
makes the greatest difference um, for anybody who feels like they're in a crisis of their own, an unexplainable one. Our condolences go out to the family and friends of the Spalding student, and it's just absolutely tragic. It happened in the middle of the game. Mm -hmm. um, reports from the university press uh, show that, that FAU uh, police was called because of complaints of a gunshot sound. And there might have been something going on during that time yes. in the Boca campus. And it, it's just very sad. And it, you know, I hope, I hope we do better as a university because, um, you know, students go through a lot and it could definitely have one less problem in their hands that reach directly to the point of a mental health crisis. But anyways, we just wanted to get that out of the way because, you know, this school is a special place. It means a lot to us. It's been a very turbulent weekend here um, for the Owls. Final four. Honestly, I thought I this time last week, I was really testing the idea of going myself uh, to Houston. Um, I saw I sought out some friends, um, some, you know, familiar names that are pretty close to me that we're going or we're trying to go. And you had to go through the whole system. I paid forty two dollars the ticket i'm telling you guys now because it's after the fact but i was one of the students that one of the many students that you know went through the process was able to go but just w wasn't able to get there and, and you know what there's a lot of burnout i experienced the burnout it was just too much but short term for something that is so important in the long term like mm -hmm. this team going so far and it's a once in a lifetime deal you know we talk about racing we always know there will be another race of mm -hmm. that kind next year, or with a few exceptions like street course races. That's why I went to Miami last year. But now I guess it will be a commonplace for F1. Yep. But that's, this time last year, I didn't think it. The race failed. So many proposed races have fallen through. Vietnam is the latest example of that. Uh, New York, so many different versions of New York, Manhattan area, that have fallen down the drain that almost worked. Latest was in 2014. It was supposed to be my buddy's graduation gift. Never happened. But anyways. Where was I going? Yeah, that's why I didn't go. Came off a trip from Sebring. I had to catch up on my academia. But now we can talk about racing. Racing. Yes, racing. Um, where do we start? The first short track race of the year... Second race with this package, um, and another Hendrick Motorsports mm -hmm. walk away. Oh yes! But before the race started, we learned what the appeal um, final decision was for the penalties that Hendrick Motorsports faced after uh, was it Phoenix. So the suspensions and fines for the. Um, for the guilty crew chiefs of the teams, the Hendrick Motorsports cars that, you know, failed, remain. Mm -hmm. It was six race suspension and I think $100,000 each. However, the points penalties That's were rough. rescinded. Yep. And honestly, was this the right decision by NASCAR to revert back? Or is this an example saying that it they shouldn't give out the penalties in the first place? It wasn't NASCAR. It was the um, who they have as the council to go over and view the appeals. 
The council reverted it. NASCAR wasn't too happy. NASCAR wanted it to to stay the same, I guess. Yeah. And you have this group of fans on social media that understandably so say, why give out the penalties in the first place if you're going to give them back? Definitely. Definitely. I, I don't know. The, the whole deal does make a big difference in the points because well, it puts Alex Bowman back to first in the championship standings. Yep. And if we have another ring short and qualifying, he's on pole. Yeah, and that was the deal with Richmond. Weather was just uncooperative the entire time, and both, I think, all the series that raced there, including the Wheel of Modified Tour, the Cup Series, and the Xfinity Series, alike, they didn't get to see any action until the green flag came out. Yeah, for the race. Yeah, and um. But it didn't look like the teams really needed to waste much waste, waste much time. I think it came at the expense of drivers like Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick. I was thinking Denny Hamlin had a race. He just didn't have a good race at all. Martin Truex Jr. was really the best veteran out there. Yeah. Um, I'd say Kyle Larson is as well. He's a veteran, but I'm talking about someone who's been, you know, who's seen, you know, more than 10 years of cup racing. Yeah. It was Larson's race towards the end and the tire situation got the best of martin Truex jr and the gibbs team because he had to make an early pit stop i think i don't know if it was untimely or not but he had to run scuffed tires on that last stop he oh, had yes. ran out of stickers and that's what cost him the race that any caution that would have come out would have ruined his chances and that windless streak continues from tj Watch, he's right now 50 races. They says like 50 races in. He'll probably get up to 75, and on the 75th, he'll win because of the 75th anniversary season. Jeez. But let's talk about the results here. So Kyle Larson, you know, Steve's driver, gets his 20th career and finally first of the year. And to be honest, it could have been way more than just his first win of the year. By the way, I still need to go to Homestead for this year to go see him actually win at the track yep. that you got to do last year. Right. And that's another good track for Larson. This is undoubtedly Larson's best short track, Richmond. Yes. Um, if you just look at the wins that he got um, when he drove for Ganassi, because more than half the wins of his career came. Michigan. Oh, man. Michigan, uh, Fontana, Michigan three times in a row, <clears throat> which included his first win. Yeah. Larson loves certain tracks. He's just so good at them. Homestead. But re really, you don't see too much of them in short tracks. And though he did win at Bristol in 21 in his championship series season. Yes. But I think most of his wins in 2021 were just like like standout examples because he was just so good that year. Well, he knew how to drive that car. Yeah. And that car was so round, he would so be doing the same thing. Yeah. Kyle Larson led for 93 laps. Um to take the win. It wasn't a dominating race by any means. He actually played it smart, but stuck it out towards the finish. But but we need to talk about the guy who finished in that second spot. And that is Josh Berry, a short track sensational driver who made his whole career out of late model racing up until a few years ago. But 10 laps to get a career best finish of second. He made a statement, a big time statement in yesterday's Cup Series race. 
Mm-hmm. Josh Berry, why is he so good on these short tracks? What makes him so good? Because he ran late models. He's been constantly running late model races. That's what he grew up racing on. He's a short track ringer. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people seem to forget that, you know, if we got guys that come out of the short track, you know, world, you know, you're, you're Bubba Pilar's, maybe you're, you're Lane Riggs and Steven Nasse's and some of these other guys. Steven Park. Steve Park. There you go. Hey, he wasn't that, I mean, wasn't that different. No, he was able to get it done at Watkins Glen. Yeah. That's because he grew up racing there. Yep. But, well, it's also because the one modified tour actually ran there a few times too. Yeah, the the outlier of road course racing in the modified tour. I want to see that happen again one of these days. Um, no, you don't. I think it really turned into more like a northeastern series into a short track exclusive series. We need to go to a road race in Homestead. That's All right, Enzo, we... there's your calling. Well, they had the Ferrari Challenge there. Sadly, we ended up missing it. Right, because that was during the Sebring weekend. Was it? I think it was. Let's go on down the order. Ross Chastain led 16 laps. He finished third. We had a lot of different leaders in this race. Christopher Bell, he had a good late race car. Led for 26 laps. Finished fourth. Kevin Harvick, a guy who I thought was going to do really well, but I think he really was on the short end of the stick. He finished in fifth. How about good run for a good run for Michael McDowell? Um, Joey Logano, who we, expect, Log. we expected a little bit better out of him in the race like that. Same with Alex Bowman, who led for eight laps, was granted pole. Um, and for the third week in a row, Ty Gibbs gets a career best finish of P9. Oh, no. He's stepping it up. No, Ty Gibbs is not going to win the championship. He's not going to win the championship. No. He's not going to do anything that he's done in Xfinity or ARCA. But he is finally owning his skills as a Cup Series driver. And I think it took 2023 and being in a you know a steady situation to make it work. 23-11 racing last year. Honestly, Ty was just being a fill-in driver. Yeah. It had other bigger focuses to work on, like that Xfinity Series championship he ended up winning. Go down one more spot. Brad Keselowski turns it around and finishes 10th after a miserable week. At Coda, he rounds out the top ten, but good for him, big time. Great, great to see him finally pick it up as an owner driver. Martin Truex Jr., one of my picks to win. If you saw my post on World Racing Media, I had him as one of my uh, top ten uh, picks. How Martin Truex Jr. He led fifty six laps. He was bound to win the race, but then a late race yellow came out, and he ran out of. Dicker tires with 14 laps to go. He dropped like a rock, and there was nothing that could be done. It was really ups- upsetting to see because, you know, Truex has been on this winless streak, and it's very unlike him. But he's, it's not like he just doesn't win. He narrowly loses. That's what's going on. Let's go down yeah. the order. Chase Briscoe. We see Eric Almorola. SHR has to pick it up. It can't just be the Kevin Harvick show. If he's about to depart, you know, what what is there to to fill the void? Who is there to fill the void? I don't know. Chase Briscoe is just so inconsistent. Sadly, I got him in my Ram Fantasy for next week. He might be a favorite, though. We'll see. Kyle Busch led one lap. I thought he was going to be a favorite to win this race, but it seems like 
you he needs to have the practice in the qualifying sessions to make this work. Um, Todd Gillen rounding out the top 15. Tyler Reddick just didn't have a good car from start to finish. It wasn't his day. And give a call to Chandler Smith, the Xfinity Series winner, in his Cup Series debut, gets himself a 17th place finish driving for Kelly Racing. Well done to him. And well done to Chandler on that first Xfinity one. We'll get down to the order here. Um, looking at some of the front runners, you see Denny Hamlin rounding out the top 20. He led 71 laps in one stage two, but his car was just up and down. His race was just very unlike Denny Hamlin. And um, for someone who preaches about driver code and etiquette, I don't think that um, running over a back marker to, you know, early in the race and ruining someone else's day is a good reflection on a statement that was very powerful just a few days ago. Mm-hmm. I know I'm a Hamlin fan personally because of his hypocrisy, because I am a bit of a hypocrite myself sometimes. But, you know, Denny Hamlin, that honestly, he just didn't have a good race at all. It was not his day. 71 laps, somehow he led them. But when when push comes to shove, he just wasn't there. Let's go down the order. Ryan Blaney. I want to talk about Ryan Blaney for a minute. He's not going to get a win at all. I, I, here's the thing. I don't know. How long is he going to be in Penske for? Good question. Let's look at that. Because I know they want him long term. But to be honest, I'm starting to think that Ryan Blaney is unfit for the Cup Series. I think I'm, Ryan Blaney is unfit for that car. Or that team. Because look at how Joe Logano was with JGR. He couldn't do nothing there. He went to Penske. Boom. Yeah, or... Magic. How about Eric Jones? How about... Now, Eric Jones, he had a lot of seat time. And he didn't work out at Gibbs. What about, you know, some of these other drivers that... So far, Blaine is kind of signed through till 2025, at least. Do you see this contract going any further? Or do we see a step-it-up year? And it has to come. And we'll see a step-up year. Listen, I think he picked in 20 or 21. Yes, he was good with that car. But, I don't know. Even his winless season isn't a reflection on this year's but performance. We, but here's the thing, though. If we get rid of him out of the 12, what, is that going to put Harrison Burton in the 12, then? I think Penske would downsize. I wouldn't be surprising either. To be honest, Joey Logano and Austin Sinek, they could work with, you know, Logano's going to lead this team for a while. He's going to lead, I can see him to the end of the decade, unless something crazy happens with Sean Pennzoil or something like that. But let's go down the order here. Um, William Byron, 24, he led 117 laps. He won the first stage. But he got wrecked by the 20. Yeah, he got spun by the 20. And, um, you know, that was really nothing Byron could do. That's just part of what happens when you race in NASCAR. Uh, let's take a look at the championship standings now that everything is reverted back. It is a four-point difference between Alex Bowman and Ross Chastain for the championship lead. Christopher Bell hops to third, but he's one point ahead of William Byron, who drops down the order. Um, Kevin Harvick stays in fifth. Joey Logano and Kyle Busch are tied for sixth. Oh, no, Larson is tied for sixth with Logano. Then Kyle Busch is in eighth. Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr. around at the top 10. So it's not like the Gibbs guys aren't out of it, but it also shows that 
Kevin Harvick can put a consistent run, and they'll still be out there. But let's go down the order. Since the penalties are rescinded for Hendrick, it really does shake up the rest of the standings down to the top 20. We have Brad Keselowski, very good bounce-back week. Ryan Blaney, Tyler Reddick, Austin Sindrick. Tyler Reddick took the biggest hit because of the penalties being rescinded from Hendrick. Yes. Um, I, I still say, I hate to say it, but no matter what, with Brad Keselowski going to R, doing RFK, he went, might as well say his boat sank. Yeah. RFK still doesn't feel like they have the equipment, the people there to really go further. Yeah, it's like this post Carl Edwards Roush era that's been going on. Yeah, did you hear about the April Fool's joke about Carl Edwards returning to RFK? <laughs> hey, Matt Kenseth did it for a little bit. Let's go down the order real quick. Because uh, I want to get to the other series. We have a lot to talk about. Um, Austin Sindrick, Chris Buescher, 14th, 15th. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., your Daytona 500 winner, drops to 16th. Daniel Suarez moves up to 17th. Michael McDowell stays in 18th. Corey Joy drops to 19th. And, and Ty Gibbs drops to 20th. He also took a big hit from the uh, the penalties from the Hendrick teams being rescinded. Honestly, I started seeing you more becoming a Ty Gibbs fan in the future. I've been a Ty Gibbs fan since the start of his career. Oh, man. I think he's one of the best drivers out there. In fact, it's a shame that the FIA Super License points will make it impossible for an American like him to even get to F1 because his, his racecraft on road courses is just second to none, especially looking from the Xfinity Series side, which is much like the traditional body all cup right, cars until right, today. Right. Do we see Ty Gibbs winning at all this year? No. But I feel like he's going to start winning down the road. Um, he passed the big test, you know, going through – uh, Atlanta, you know, stayed in the draft. He didn't, you know, crack under pressure. Coda, he didn't overdo himself, which we've seen before in 2022 during his time at 2311 Racing. And Richmond, finally we got to see him do well at a track that suits him. Um, we got to talk about the um, the lower series, though. We got to talk about the Xfinity Series. We'll get into that right now. Um Let's move on to Saturday. Chandler Smith, who made his Cup Series debut on Sunday, got to celebrate his first career Xfinity Series victory on Saturday. He led for 83 of the 250 laps after starting in eighth. And in the process, he won stage one and had a nice margin of 0.2 over John Hunter Nemechek, who finished just second for the second year in a row of the Spring Richmond race. Yes. Um, John Hunter Nemechek led... For 11 laps, Josh Berry led for 63 laps, rounding out the top three. So, you know, it's been a pretty pretty fun weekend for a guy like Josh Berry or Chandler Smith. That's for sure. Um, Josh Berry won stage two, by the way. Cass Grella, shout out to Sam Hunt Racing, a team based in Virginia. One of the youngest owners in the top divisions of NASCAR to have factory support from a manufacturer. Sam Hunt, no, no relation to the singer. Damn. Sam Hunt, who actually was in a football camp with one of the, the two fallen Gibbs sons. I think it was it was J.D. or Coy. Uh, yeah. You know, because there's a football connection with the Gibbs family. Didn't know that. Um, they felt, they formed a connection, realized that, you know, someone needed some parts. And let's be real, Toyota doesn't have a lot of feeder teams besides Gibbs. Even in the Cup Series, it seems like Toyota is kind of fetching for a third team to come in. Now that 2311 racing is finally stable. 
And I'm saying this because of the post-Michael Waltrip racing era of Toyota. Yes. They've been struggling to find that secondary team that can be good for the long run. Well, you had furniture row, but they couldn't afford it anymore. No, the sport just got too expensive. And even after the championship, they lasted one more year. And then Levine Family Racing, who got hit by the pandemic. Yeah. Um, 2021, luckily, 2311 racing happened. It just was a happy accident that that came up to be real, which nobody thought would even be possible when, before the announcement it was even made. It came so, from so, left so, field. So when do we finally get to see Danny the retire? <laughs> but we know Toyota's got a strong future in the Cup Series. But 2311 Racing and what they're doing, but I think they might need a third team. And Sam Hunt Racing, if we go to the Xfinity Series, has become that second team for Toyota. Um, the truck series have a lot of, you know, par- have a lot of ventures for Toyota. You know, even after Kyle Busch Motorsports left with David Gillen's investment being really big on that brand. Yes. Um, which is why I kind of see Todd Gillen doing what John Hunter Niemicek does, did. And yeah. Dip down, which might not be a bad deal at all for him. But we're talking about Sam Hunt Racing here. We have two cars out there. Kaz Grala and a second car, which is filled by some part-time drivers like Connor Mosack, Tyler Reddick, and so on and so forth. Anything? Jeffrey Earnhardt might have done a race or two with them. I know that was last year. I, to this day, I still want to see Jeffrey Earnhardt and a JRM car. But JRM or RCR. We're talking about Sam Hunt Racing here, though. Jeffrey, we'll get in him in a bit. He needs to stop getting the short end of the stick. They gotta get. He deserves better. But Kaz Grella in the home race for Sam Hunt gets them a, a third, no, fourth place finish. And Kaz Grahl is another guy I believe in. I met him in the shop, at, uh, in the garage areas, multiple times. Um, he's one of the friendliest guys out there. He's had to drive for some of the worst equipment out in the Cup Series for um, Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, he, he drove their first ever race in the twenty two five hundred. I met him there. Um, he's had to drive for some Truck Series teams and go all around, really go around all around the garage to stay in this in this business. Kaz Grella, I see him finally winning his fitting series race. Let's go down the order. We can't waste too much time. There's a lot of racing to go down. Cole Custer redeems himself and finishes fifth. Sheldon Creed, P6. Ryan Sieg, how about another young, young for an owner, but he's an owner for so long. Owner driver, Ryan Sieg in um, seventh. Parker Kligerman in eighth. Austin Hill. Finishes ninth, and Derek Krause making his NASCAR Xfinity Series debut rounds out the top ten. Great run on his part. Um, absolutely proud of him. Um, he's actually one of a few people like you know, I mentioned that I've known personally. Um, yeah, great driver. Alex LeBay in eleventh, the twenty seventeen Pinty Series champion, overpowering his equipment. Uh, for the Mario Goslin team, Jeb Burton, Justin Allgaier didn't really have a good race. Chris Hacker in his debut, P14. What a hacker. <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan Ellis running at the top 15. We go down the order. Sam Mayer, I, I, I expect him, I, I thought he was going to be up there, but you were right. Martinsville is going to be his race. Yes. Um, Jeffrey Earnhardt, 18th. Um, Sammy Smith led 40 laps, just never recovered. After his incident, and Kyle Seagrant at the top 20. Brandon Jones left for 24 laps. Riley Herbst, 
he got screwed in one of those late race cautions led for 27 laps. That was probably his best ever performance as a driver. Oh, yeah. Even though he's definitely. had a career best of second, this was def- this trumps everything just based on a race performance. So well done to him. Um, though it wasn't the result he wanted. Only one driver failed to finish the race, and that was Anthony Alfredo, who crashed out on lap 144. So the point standings after this race, Austin Hill, his lead drops to 12 points. Riley Herbst is in second, even though he had a bad finish. The reason why he's still up there is because of those stage points he received on Saturday. John Hunter Nemechek leaps to third. He's probably going to take over the points lead if it stays like this. He's running his course really well. Chandler Smith moves up to fourth. Josh Berry stays in fifth. Justin Elgar drops to sixth. Sheldon Creed moves up to seventh. Sam Mayer drops to eighth. Sammy Smith drops to ninth. And Cole Custer is back in the top ten in the standings. So their next race is Martinsville. They get the week off uh, for Bristol. Um, and speaking of a week off, the Truck Series race, but they had a week off from the Cup Series. Um, instead, they got to join the IndyCar Series. We'll roll into that discussion in a bit. Um, before we get into that, congratulations to Austin Beers on his first career NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour victory, running um, running the race on Saturday at Richmond. Rained out from Friday night. He takes his first win in the Modified Tour in front of a, of a huge Cup Series crowd. Well done to him. Anytime yeah. a driver in lower series wins a race on one of those rare companions with the Cup Series, it not only makes your win special as if it isn't already, but it puts you in front of a greater audience, a broader crowd yes. of people that are there to run in the top levels, and they notice that. That's why Ryan Priest is where he's at today. Speaking of the Truck Series, they raced in front of an IndyCar crowd um, and Paddock. But it was a very controversial race and an ugly turn of events that happened. It was actually going on during the Owls um, game where we were at the watch party. Um, That's when I was receiving. My phone was going off because of some ugly moments that happened out on the racetrack. And first and foremost, I'm really happy to, to say that Dean Thompson will come out of this crash okay after he was transported into a hospital from one of the ugliest looking accidents that I've seen oh, yeah. in a long time. That could have gone really, really, really bad. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the drivers in their inexperienced, you know, a lot of the inexperienced drivers were in this race. Yes. Um, mainly because this wasn't part of the cup series weekend. Um, you know, they didn't have, they don't have that guidance. They don't have that, the, the, the cup, normal cup series crew. So, you know, they had to have the planned cautions, um, which, since 2019 is the case for standalone races for Xfinity trucks. I'm not a fan of that, even though it does cut costs. I can understand it, but I'd rather see, you know, teams conform to the norm of having a live pit stop being possible at all times. But that's for another discussion. Um, but my heart sinks for South Florida's own Nick Sanchez. One of the friendliest guys in the garage area that I got to meet many times at Daytona. Um, we actually stood by, hung by him, uh, Herbert and, and I, we hung around the Rev Racing pits during the ARCA race. Mm. Um, got to chat with them afterwards. I talked to LeVar Scott, who had a really good showing in that Daytona race. But So you're telling me that all of our South Florida, anyone from South Florida on Saturday pretty much got them screwed? Yes, except for the Florida Panthers. Yeah, somehow. Yeah, but they were in doubt. 
Yeah, you got a point. But they, they, they want summons up against Columbus. Want to know how painful this is? And you know the whole overtime discussion. You're gonna even hear me talk about this not now, but in Formula One. Formula. Uh. 172 laps were in this race. Nick Sanchez led for 168 of those laps before he ended up getting turned um, after losing control on the final lap. There was nothing. Nobody was at fault for it. It was just a racing deal gone bad. And um, he does get credited with 16th. He let from the pole. Another pole, by the way. He's. I know he's driving in a car that's getting help from Kyle Busch Motorsports equipment, but it is Rev Racing's first year. And kudos to them. You know... KBM is trying to bring in some of the older crew members from Rev Racing's ARCA program into this. They're, and it's not just, oh, here's your car, but it's under your name. It's more or less saying, they're more or less saying, okay, let's bring some of you guys involved here so that, you know, they can be part of the success. And yeah. though they, it wasn't a win, we know the win was coming. Atlanta, they were close. Daytona was a pull. I'm just so proud of Nick Sanchez. Keep it up. And by the way, I remember he... For a, for a brief time, he was in a qualified pole during the Xfinity Series qualifying. The whole place went. There was not a lot of people in the crowd because of the rain, but they went bananas. Oh, yeah. It almost sounded like a packed house going wild when he qualified pole, provisional pole for a while, uh, that Xfinity race at Homestead last year. But you also got to finally be happy for another driver. You know, finally... Carson Hosevar is a winner of the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. It has been way too long, and he's another friendly guy in the garage area. Michigan's own. Um, I got to meet him in Indianapolis. He was hanging by there. We chatted with Carson during the rain delay in the Truck Series race. Um, Herbert's actually races with him on iRacing. That's interesting. How many laps did you lead to win this one? One. Uno. 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 He started fifth. But never saw the lead. And in fact, really, Nick Sanchez was the only guy that hogged the lead. He inflated the race. He almost he, If it weren't for a few caution pit stops, he probably would have been perfect from start to finish. Uh, Chase Purdy, congratulations to another driver. A career best finish of second. Stuart Friesen in third, last year's winner. Ty Majeski, fourth. Good run for him. For Texas, he's doing even better at the big tracks now. Jake Garcia, career best finish of fifth. And Haley Deegan, another career best finish of sixth. Corey Heim in seventh. Ryan Vargas, another great guy that we that, that I met through the garage. I actually a picture with him that we took at Indianapolis. His best finish of eighth. First time in the top ten. Yes. Jack Wood in ninth. Ben Rhodes in tenth. Ben Rhodes, one of the very few drivers not named Nick Sanchez to lead laps. Go down the order, we have Christian Eckes, who led for two laps, and that was about it. But it was just a very, it was a very gruesome race. Yes. There were a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and just, you don't want to see drivers getting hurt. And Matt Mills, Dean Thompson, um, Armani Williams, Trey Hutchins the third. We're all collected in one of the nastiest accidents in the truck series that we've seen in a long time. Yeah. And that was crazy. You know, Dean, we don't know what the situation is going to be with him, but he did address the public that he will be okay. And um, 
Matt Mills will be okay. He had a huge hit. Um, it was just ugly. Not something you want to see. The championship standings are completely flip-flop now. And they come to Bristol next this upcoming weekend as well with the Cup Series on the dirt. Ty Majeski takes over the points lead by three points. Zane Smith drops to second. Ben Rhodes is in third. Christian Eckes, Matt Crafton, Grennan Finger. Chase Purdy jumps to seventh. Corey High drops to seventh. So seventh and eighth. Nick Sanchez is in ninth. He doesn't lose the top ten because of the um, the stage points yes. that he accumulated in this race. Tyler Ankrum is in the top ten. Carson Hosvar moves up to eleventh. Tanner Gray, Stuart Friesen, Matt DiBenedetto, Jake Garcia, Haley Deegan, Colby Howard, Chris Wright, Raja Carruth, and Timmy Hill, and Daniel Dye tied down at the top 20. Um, and with that, on Sunday, we had the IndyCar Series race there, um, where we got to see Joseph Newgarden. Joseph Newgarden taking home the win at Texas for the third time in his career, second Year in a row, Joseph Newgarden, his 26th career victory. And remember last year, he won five races. That race at Texas, the first oval of the year, was absolutely entertaining. It was so fun to watch, and it makes you wish that we still had the amount of ovals we had in years prior. Fast, high-speed ovals at that. Yes. But it wasn't easy. He had to, he had to defend himself against Paddle Award. Paddle Award, who also is so good at Texas, two years ago won this, the race there. He it was his first career win. Paddle Award, man, you got to feel for him. Yeah, yellow flag came out at a bad time, and then you got guys like Alex Plow who is running high. Roman Grosjean, man. He, so close to winning an IndyCar race. Yes. He'll get there one of these days. He will. But that showing on Nova was very um, promising. But maybe there's a bit of a, of, an, uh, of a preview for the Indy 500 that we might see here. Do you think that this could be the year Joseph Newgarden or Pato Award finally get it? Because Marcus Harrison was not on his top game this, this past weekend. I'm going to say no. Does it really just come down to the month of May itself? Yes. So the month of May really does make the difference. And IndyCar goes back to a street course in Long Beach. And I know a lot of these teams, some of these drivers want to get away with a good race at Texas because, you know, Long Beach is dreaded. You know, some drivers don't like the street circuits as much. Oz's opinion, I really think, uh, if you really want my take on this whole situation, I think it's going to come down to anyone. Like even we could possibly have a Nermeyer Shank racing win. Yes. Meyer Shank didn't look too good, though. Um, both Pagano and Castro Neves just never had luck. Castro Neves had, had an incident before the race. Yes, they both finished. Yeah, Castro Neves had a gearbox issue. during. I think it was during the final practice or qualifying. So Yeah. It might have been pre-qualifying because I don't think he took a time. Let's give a shout-out to David Malukas. On his run. It wasn't career best finish. He did finish in fourth. David Malukas really impressed. Um, the ovals are his best 
of the IndyCar series. And I'm excited to see him in the month of May. He's probably going to be even better driving for, uh, what's the team? Is it uh, Dale Coyne Racing? Dale Coyne Racing, um, they usually do so well on the road courses, but it seems like they have drivers that can get it done in the ovals now. Um, Colton Herta should be excited more than anybody else for the next race at Long Beach, which is not next, not this weekend, but next weekend. They'll be with IMSA uh, for the Long Beach Grand Prix. And, of course, during that time, the WC will be on the other side of the globe for the, I think it's four hours of Portimao. Yes. Yes, four hours of Portimao. Next up, we'll talk some endurance racing. It was won by Valkenhorst Motorsport, the only endurance race we're going to cover, the NLS series, round two, at the Nürburgring. The, uh, really, the precursor races to the 24 hours of Nürburgring. Um, BMW seems to be very good with the M4 GT3 at the Nordschleife. And I think, from my humble opinion, they're going to be the manufacturer to beat um, in most of the crown jewel GT3 races that are out there. We saw what happened with Paul Miller Racing at Sebring and Turner Motorsport going 1-2 of the GT Daytona class. We saw what WRT is able to do in the nine hours of Kailami, the 24 hours of Dubai, and even yeah. the races they didn't win. The M4 GT3 is the best car in GT3 right now, in my humble opinion. The AMG kind of looked like they had you know, been up there, but the M4 GT3, maybe the fact that it's a front-engine car could be a reason, but they're just so much better right now. Yes. So... Audis are good, but they don't have a lot of quantity. But Mercedes, there might be up there as well. But you can also you never count out the Porsches, the 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 flat six 911 GT3R type 992 has been a bit of a struggle since they went from 991 to 992. But yeah, we're gonna see um, we're gonna see some improvements made. And it, of course, you can't forget BOP is everywhere, and all the sanctioning bodies have their own deals. So we got our insurance discussion in the books. Speaking of Team WRT, you know, one of their drivers is what's his name? Valentino Rossi. Oh, right? No. Yes. Valentino Rossi still is an owner in motorcycle racing. MotoGP. I just want to get everything out of the way before we talk Formula One. MotoGP. The Grand Prix of Argentina was won for the first time by a VR46 entry. Um, the Mooney VR46 racing team with rider Marco Bezzici took home his first career top class win in the Argentine Grand Prix. Let's take a look at the points finishers. The Ducatis were 1-2-3 from three different teams. The Pramac of Joan Zarco in second, third place Alex Marquez from Grassini, and then you have fourth place your highest Yamaha of Franco Marbidelli in the Monster Energy machine. Jorge Martin in fifth, Jack Miller in sixth, the highest KTM bike. Fabio Quartararo, the 2021 world champion in seventh, Luca Marini in eighth, the highest Honda of Alex Rins in ninth, and Fabio Di Giantonino running at the top 10 in the second Grassini entry. 
the Gas Gas Factory Racing Team, KTM of Augusto Fernandez in third, or, or in 11th. Um, 12th is Maverick Vignelles, the highest Aprilia. 13th is Takaki Nakagami in the LCR, Honda Adamasu, Raul Fernandez, and Alex Espargaro in the Aprilios, or, uh, Aprilias, whoops, rounding out the, the final points paying positions. It was a struggle for Impeco Bagnaia, the last year's champion in the round one victor. He scored no points, one spot out of the final points position, and that will cost him the championship lead. It goes to Bazici, Bagnaia, and Zarco. Alex Marquez in fourth, Maverick Vinales in fifth, um, Jack Miller, Jorge Martin, Brad Binder, Franco Morbidelli, and Fabio Quartararo round out the top 10. The constructor standings is Ducati. They are two for two. KTM, Aprilia, Yamaha, and Honda. Fourth, third, fourth, and fifth. The team standings after two races is in the hands of the VR46 racing team. Pramok Racing in second, Red Bull KTM Factory in third, Aprilia Racing in fourth, and the Ducati Lenovo team, with no points at all, drop to fifth. Next race to go is to America. The oh. Motorcycle Grand Prix of the Americas at Circuit of the Americas. And that will be held on the 16th of April. So there's a week off in between. Oh, so we should go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I need a little bit of a break from that. What do you mean? We need to go there. We need to come back. You haven't been to MotoGP race yet. That's a good point. Um, by the oh, way. Oh, MotoGP. Yeah. I'll pass. Never mind. Get one opportunity. But Which before we. <laughs> before we get into the uh, Formula on Australia Grand Prix weekend. Let's talk about Samarca, and it was on round two of the um, 12 race championship was at Irwindale Speedway. In fact, they make two trips there. They, they come back on uh, July 1st, Canada Day, on the sixth round of the season. Yes. It was the West Coast Stock Car Motorsports Hall of Fame 150. It was dominated and won by... Uh, the, the poll was won by Trevor Halston. It was dominated by him, but in the end, it was 16-year-old Newport Beach, Californian Sean Hinegrani driving for Venery Motorsports who takes the win. Of course, be Venery winning again. Yep. Um, in the end, the, the championship standings have changed. Tyler Reif remains on the points lead with two points over Landon Lewis. Trevor Halston jumps to third. Kyle Keller drops to fourth. Bradley Erickson Stays in fifth. Sean Hinograni with the win. He, after his 16th place run at Phoenix in the opener, jumps to sixth. Tanner Reif jumps to seventh. Todd Souza stays in eighth. Takuma Koga and David Smith rounding out the top ten. Um, their next race is at Kern County Speedway on April 22nd in Bakersfield, California. Home to Kevin Harvick. Oh, no. Now that out of the way... Let's get into the Australian Grand Prix weekend. Yes, because you've been wanting to talk about that so badly. Because now. there's so much to, to unpack from the race itself. Let's just get the short-term discussions out of the way and talk about the Australian Supercars Championship because they have their four-race super sprint called the Melbourne 400 at um, 
at Albert Park Circuit in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Mm. So for their second uh, race weekend of the season, which we won't see them again until the end of the month in Perth, The Melbourne 400 um, was a very interesting one, a bit of a controversial one. We saw some cars catching on fire. We saw oh James Courtney catch on fire, and then they reverted to a rolling start instead for the for the final race of the weekend, which was a very interesting one. But the Melbourne um, uh, 400 Super Sprint. Race one was won by Shane Van Giersbergen. Um, it was his 79th career win. Hmm. One away from 80. And I thought we would see 80 on the weekend, but it wasn't meant to be. Um, Shane Van started third, took the win. Brody Kostecki, and I think he's the driver of the weekend here. We'll get into him in a bit. Brody Kostecki in uh, second, Will Brown third, Brock Feeney, Chaz Monster rounding out the top five in race one of the weekend, which was round um, three of the season. Race two, round four of the year. Uh, Brody Kostecki finally gets his first career win. In a shortened race, because of time constraints, it only lasted eight laps. But Brody Kostecki went from fourth to first and scored the victory over Shane Van Giesbergen. Brock Feeney, Chaz, Mostgart, Mo- Chaz Moster, and Anton DiPasquale in fifth. So, yeah, it's been really in the hands of Chevrolet this whole time. Um, minus the given win to the Ford team after the Triple Eight disqualification at, um, at Newcastle. Um Race three of the weekend was won by Brock, um, was won by Brody Kostecki. He gets his second career win. This race lasted 11 laps due to time constraints, but he took over the win. It was a controversial one over Shane Van because Kostecki had an unsafe pit exit, but it was still the win was still given to him. Will Brown in third, Chaz Moster another fourth, and Andre Heingartner squeaked into fifth, and then Brock Feeney. For Triple Eight Race Engineering, made it an official Chevrolet sweep for the weekend when he took home his second career win. Andre Heimgartner in second, Brody Kostecki third, Shane McGeesbergen, and Jack LeBrock rounding out your top five. Jack Le who? Jack LeBrock. Hmm. Let's go ahead and look at the, the championship for the Repco Supercars Championship. Now that two weeks are in the books, and six races are complete. Let's go and look at the championship points. And we have a new points leader, Brody Kostecki, at 514. And Chaz Mostert in second with 482. Shane McGeesberg in third with 428. He dropped a third. Andre Heimgartner in fourth with a three-point advantage over Will Brown in fifth. Um, let's take a look at the um, team's... Uh, Championship, Erebus Motorsport, the Chevrolet team sponsored by Coca-Cola Racing. With a points lead, they are at 897. Red Bull Ampol Racing by Triple Eight Race Engineering drops a second at 796. That's almost a 100-point advantage. By the way, the increments are a lot different in supercar racing. Uh, Brad Jones Racing in third. Walkinshaw and Andretti United, the highest four team in fourth and fifth place. Uh, Penwright Racing from Grove Racing, the second highest Ford team at 572 points. And like I said, they come back for Perth at the end of the month for week three of the championship. 
The tables have turned, and now we're starting to see a driver in Brody Kostecki break out. I said it for the longest time, back when my podcast was on the World Racing Media YouTube channel in 2021, that this kid is like a cat winning to get out of the box. He's so good. He just needs the right equipment and the right, the right you know, environment for him to succeed. And now he's succeeding. I think he's probably the best driver, one of the best drivers right now in the Gen 3 Supercar that debuted at the start of the season in um, in February. So we'll see. I'm sorry, March. So we'll see what happens there. But that's the Supercar side of the Melbourne weekend. We also had. Formula 3, FIA Formula 3, FIA Formula 2, and the F1 Grand Prix of Australia, which was round 3 of the World Championship. So I'm going to go ahead and pull up those results. We'll talk about that. There was a bit of a controversial one. Um, But the FIA Formula 3 Championship had a disqualification due to infringement for the winner, Franco Colapino, at the Melbourne round. So race one, or the sprint race, because it's a sprint and then the feature. The sprint race was given to Zach O'Sullivan for Prima. Sebastian Montoya, the son of racing legend Juan Pablo Montoya, came home second. He was given the pole in the sprint race because it was reverse grid from the feature race qualifying results. Paul Aran from Estonia in third, Gabriele Mini in fourth, Diego Benegovic in fifth, Ardino Beganovic in fifth, sorry I said that name wrong, Gabriel Bortoletto from Trident in sixth with his teammate, Leonardo Fenoroli in seventh, Grigory Solci in eighth, Christian Mansell in ninth, and Kalen Frederick rounded out the top. 10, the final points position with the fastest lap going to Christian Mansell. That was race one. However, disqualified was the winner, Franco Colapino. His car did not meet regulations, and he was axed of the win. Gabriel Bortoletto of Bortoletto of Triton takes home the win in the feature race over Grigori Sochi in second. Gabriele Mini, who was really fast in the practice and qualifying sessions, who started third in the race, managed to round out the podium. Leonardo Fonaroli in fourth, the sprint winner of Zach O'Sullivan in fifth, Paul Aron, Pepe Marti, Luke Browning, Taylor Bernard, and Christian Mansell, running out the top ten. They will be back with F1 and Imola for the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix weekend. So they got a bit of a time, you know, buffer. A 20-point advantage for Bortoletto and Trident with a 30-point advantage in the team's championship. Now let's talk about Formula 2. They also made their appearance in Melbourne for the first time. Wait, you're saying there ain't no Formula 2? Uh, we'll get to them in a minute. Two? Yeah. It was a fun weekend. Anyone who went to the Australian Grand Prix, they really got their money's worth. I believe it. Albert Park, the the feature race um, was won by Ayumu Iwasa, 21-year-old Osaka, Japan native, driving for Doms, while the feature or the sprint race was won by Dennis Hogger, the reigning Formula E champ, Formula Three champion. And the championship is now eight points with the advantage to Ayumu Iwasa. 
Theo Parcher in second with eight points back. Frederick Vesti in third. Ralph Bouchong and Arthur Leclerc are tied for fourth and fifth. In the team's championship, Doms leads over Art Grand Prix. So it's French teams one and two. Then the uh, Dutch team of MP Motorsport in third. Campos Racing from Spain in fourth. And Primo Racing, which we saw at Sebring yes. from Italy, rounding out the top five. Um, the F2 championship comes back for the next F1 Grand Prix weekend, which, of course, is at Baku City Circuit for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Now let's get into the Australian Grand Prix. Um, round three in the World Championship of the 23-race calendar. And it was a very controversial controversial race. And this is where, you know, I thought we didn't have to talk about the skin, but now we have to talk about it. Uh, this whole debacle of safety is and uh, legitimacy over entertainment views let's first of all get into the race it was an absolute banger of a race um we saw a thrilling qualifying session where we got to see russell and hamilton make up the and the latter half of the front row and the second mm. row fernando alonso showing his true colors how great of a driver he is and max is stopping just being unbeatable as always yeah we got to see the start of the race and how ferrari faltered and charles leclerc just getting spun around no fault of his own yeah we also got to see Comers and goers like Pierre Gasly, who had a really cracking performance. Um, Esteban Ocon, before it all went wrong. And an Australian rookie of Oscar Piastri getting his first career points in front of a home crowd. But this, I wish, would be the end of the conversation. Max Verstappen taking home his 37th career win. And the fact that Fernando Alonso is three for three with podiums this year. Lewis Hamilton looks so close to finally breaking his winless streak. But guess what? That's not the case. We are now talking about. So he's going to retire at the end of the season, right? (laughs) April Fool's joke. I already made that. I think. No, uh, people. I made the NASCAR joke about Hamilton. Let's just go down the order real quick. Really good run for Lance Stroll and the Aston Martin team. Double points there. Sergio Perez gets Red Bull Racing. Double points. Uh, Sixth place. Lando Norris, finally McLaren needed a turnaround. This was the race. Nico Hulkenberg in seventh for Haas. Nice points day for him. Oscar Piastri in eighth. First, best career finish at first points. McLaren getting double points. They really needed that. I was worried about the match for Saudi Arabia, but they can't always rely on luck either. Joe Guanyu for Alfa Romeo Sauber Ferrari and Yuki Tsunoda for Alfa Tori Honda RBPT taking the final point. But let's talk about the closing laps here. We had three races in this one. We should have been just two. The only red flag that should have came out. And this is a record now. We have three red flags in one race. The only red flag that should have came out was the one that happened after uh, Alex Albon's car crashed and created... A broken barrier, Armco barrier. Yeah. In the you know, street race infrastructure that led to the safety car. The red flag came out, and of course, with the red flag rules in Formula One, the FIA does permit teams to change tires during the red flag. So if you stayed out and the red flag came out, or if you were in the middle of a pit cycle, you got screwed. Mm-hmm. Your race is messed up. And not to mention, your race is still at risk because with the red flag rules in place, 
it's a standing start when the race restarts. Yes. It's, not, it's like MotoGP. Um, but that's not the red flag I want to talk about. It's the red flag that came out So, lap 55, I think it was uh, lap 46, so we had ourselves, how many laps was this? A 58 lap race, so I think it was lap 55. Kevin Magnuson made contact with the wall. His uh, right rear tire was detached. He stalled on, you know, start, stopped on the track, right? Yes. Some grass on the track might have been FIA's reasoning, but we're not going to get into that. You know, we have a system so that we don't have to always have a safety car in the first place, like a virtual safety car. Yes. We have local yellows for a reason. We have ways for marshals to clean up what they need to clean up without the race. The red flag, and this is what's bothering me lately because I know we have to go back to the Azerbaijan Grand Prix two years ago. The red flag should always be the last resort for any decision. Unless a serious accident or the track being blocked happens. Mm -hmm. We should not be seeing, and I'm just saying this as a race fan myself, as someone who you know is a NASCAR fan who's seen a lot of bullshit. Excuse my French. We should not be seeing red flags coming out to preserve the finish of a Formula One Grand Prix. And I'll explain why. You want to know why? First of all, these teams have, have a certain fuel load that is put into the cars. And they cannot exceed the race as there's no refueling in Formula One. To do these safety car laps and stop the car and restart the car, there are risks for cars not being able to restart. Or have the fuel loads to, to make it to the end. Also, it intrudes the race from, you know, going to its scheduled distance. Let's not forget there's a time limit for a reason. Usually when a red flag comes out in Formula One, yes. towards the end of the race, the race would just end over there. And remember, the results are count back from the last scored lap or the last scored sector if the lap wasn't completed correct if you haven't reached sector they just go to the last reverted lap the fact that the red the red flag had to come out at all and the attempt for the race to be restarted at all is an example of why sometimes you should leave the push for entertainment alone. And whether or not that comes from Netflix and Drive to Survive, which is, to be fair, has done very well at bringing fans into the sport. So that's brought me into the sport. Or, you know, people who didn't care about racing in Formula One in general are starting to care. And I get it. Grand Prix racing can be very boring at times. Usually it is. It's very, you know, uneventful. But it's supposed to be like that. This is racing. This is supposed to be about the teams that put the, the best cars together with the best drivers for the certain time period of the race. I don't want to see someone who deserved a good 
showing, like Pierre Gasly, who was fourth when the red flag came out before the attempted restart, and he wiped himself out and his teammate Esteban Ocon in the process, and they get no points. But it also shows you, for example, when you had like the drivers of Jensen Button or Kimi Raikkonen running in NASCAR and being in almost the exact same car that almost like everyone else, compared to go racing in F1, you're not in the same car as everyone else. That's, listen, NASCAR almost impressed the international crowd. Almost. Until something NASCAR is exclusive to, overtime. There's something wrong with overtime. There is when we're trying to not embarrass ourselves in front of the world. And that's what we're doing. We and Formula One, listen, the FIA, they're, they're in a direction that I don't like. The yeah. FIA want... To finish on their safety cars? The, no, they want. They clearly wanted this race to finish or create some kind of entertainment value and incorporate that into a race. And who pays the price? The drivers, the teams. Maybe their health and safety. This is open wheel racing after all. These cars go fast. They go broom. They, you can't be toying around with the racing product. Look at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And yeah. even though you look back at it from 2021, the race that Max Verstappen won his first world championship, and how it played out at the final lap, it was a grandstand finish. But if you, what you don't remember, and this is what I do remember, was that when Nicholas Latifi crashed, the rules state that for a restart at the final, like, 10 laps or something like that, for a quick safety car procedure, the lap cars that remain in the queue between the leaders, yes. they do not get to advance their positions unless there's an added safety car lap. Yes. The FIA breached that and I think another rule or two so that they can get the track clean up and slow down the pace and get the lap cars to unlap themselves before the restart so that Hamilton and Verstappen were nose to tail. Verstappen obviously on fresh retires. Hamilton would have been the world champion. He would have finally broken the record. But it doesn't matter who you're a fan of or not. We, we can all agree that Lewis Hamilton would have been the rightful champion. Yes, the Verstappen moment was amazing to see. It was fantastic. He earned it. He did everything he needed to do. But did he was Hamilton deserving to lose that championship? No. Yes. It wasn't in Hamilton's hands. It was in the FIA's hands to jump the gun and say, "Oh, we got to do this." We, we and I know if the race ended behind the safety car or if the lap down cars were in between Hamilton and Verstappen on that one lap dash final restart of the year, people would still be mad about it. You know, oh, yes. no one was going to be happy. And I get it. The FIA were putting on their slippery slope. But can this not be the norm? Can we not have a red flag and the final lap to salvage a green flag finish and have a standing start? And this is my other point here. We don't need to have standing starts with one or two laps to spare from the finish. How is that fair? Don't you already have don't we already have enough problems at the start of a Grand Prix race from the beginning? You know, usually it's always one or two teams that fall out. 
Ricky Drivers getting hurt. Guanyu Joe, you know, he had hit the barrier head on, the fencing head on yes. in the British Grand Prix last year. That was lap one of the race. Yeah. That was not what, you know, an impromptu restart. And by the way, I don't know. I feel like the FIA is getting too comfortable with this. We saw this in Azerbaijan. We saw how, you know, Hamilton lost that race because of a standing start and his tires were cold. Yes. We saw this at Abu Dhabi, but we also saw the Italian Grand Prix last year. And here's another detractor. Hmm. This kind of reminds me of the 2004 Aaron's 499. Oh, no. The safety car came out, and it was about like five or so laps ago. Now, Monza's a quicker track. The laps are faster, even behind the safety car. Yes. You know, you have to go through the procedures and be in the correct order. But it was then four to go and three to go. And then, there, you know, of course, you can't just repair a track or clean it up in time. Two to go. And then Charles Leclerc, a Ferrari, behind Max Verstappen at the Italian Grand Prix. His one chance, you know, for a grandstand finish, kind of like Abu Dhabi, mm-hmm. that we already saw, that wasn't feasible. They raced, they finished under the safety car, as they should. Mm-hmm. But the crowds at Italy and the passionate fans in the hearts of the Ferrari fandom and the Italian fans, the Tafosi, they call they were enraged. They were mad, obscenities, booing. Ooh. All the heckling, you know, it sounds not too different from the 2004 Aaron's 499, which don't remind push NASCAR over the edge to create what they have here as overtime today. Don't remind me. But do you see the parallel here? Yes, that we need overtime. Why do we need overtime? I want to hear a case for overtime, Steve. Because I want to get the chance for the race to finish out on a green, not under caution. Not behind a pace car, safety car. Let the drivers race it out. Give them to the white flag. White flag comes out. Long race back. But hey, let them know. Yes, there is a wreck that's happening, say, like in one. Once you guys get closer to start finish, once you guys get to the start finish line, hey, back off. That's what they did until 2003. And then it's funny enough that kind of, that will kind of you know, snowballed into the situation that happened in 2004. And NASCAR jumped the gun. Let's be real. They jumped the gun. They already had a green-white checker system that was unlimited for the truck series. And it was seemingly okay until it wasn't at Gateway. And funny enough, that's when the new rules came in. But it was one attempt. And I think this might be a good opportunity for NASCAR to even learn, you know, from their own mistakes. I think NASCAR is going to have to start eliminating these overtimes. And listen... What are we doing about the race distances? Wasn't that IndyCar race damn good yesterday, even though it finished behind a pace car? Uh, what was that? Uh, to be honest, I can't really say it finished behind the pace car. Does it have to ruin the whole race? It came. The caution came out, might as well say, on the white. It was with two, one and a half laps to go. So here's my worry. This is going to happen in Formula One with one and a half laps to go. And by the way, the third red flag was really just to salvage, I think, the positions of the surviving cars from the crash. So that, you know, they didn't get to sector one. They could they were still able to salvage a count back to compensate for it. Yeah. But by the the damage was done. The two Alpine cars were wrecked. No double points for them. How unfair is that? How uh-huh. is that fair? How is it fair that we have to put them on a standing start? 
For what? Do we need more material for Drive to Survive the next episode or season or whatever? By the way, I still have not watched Drive to Survive yet. I'm trying to. I just don't have the urge to do. I just, if I open up my next my Netflix account, you will most likely watch me watch uh, watch me watching repeats of Trailer Park Boys. Oh Lord. <laughs> yes, yes. I would rather listen. So the we, bullshit by Ricky, Julian, and Bubbles, and the drunk Mr. Leahy, rest in peace, John Dunsworth. Then I went to watch Drive to Survive. I just, we need it doesn't get, sit with me. We need to get you to watch some sort of things. He's going to time it in my seat. Damn straight. Tie your seat, eyes open. Peel my eyes open, the, 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 the tape, and the and you're And you're going to watch Stranger Things, season one. Mm-hmm. And then Stranger Things, season two. Then number three. I heard Stranger Things before. So it's one of those, they go, you know, send, you send a woman a WID text and she says, I'm watching Stranger Things. I'm like, okay, I've heard that before. Maybe isn't that good? Or like, I don't know. The point is, and I know it's, uh, we're running a little bit late, but the next show does come at three. I just want to get this whole thing about entertainment versus racing. I want to say that it is fantastic to know that Drive to Survive is playing a role. Liberty Media, you know, helping and making this a possibility. I think they're what their sixth year right now. The Drive to Survive has helped make Formula One as mainstream, not just to the world, but to the states, as the NFL, and NASCAR, and maybe even greater than NASCAR. Oh, so you're saying we should have something like this for IndyCar next too? You know, we've seen those attempts of a Drive to Survive, and you know, NASCAR has what's a race for the championship? Yeah, something like that. It, it wasn't the best, but it was kind of cool. It was, seemed a lot more authentic than the Drive to Survive thing. We're trying to make Drive to Survive a reality show or Formula One. We can't make Formula One a reality show. If Formula One is to become a reality show, then you might as well call the Harlem Globetrotters an NBA team. Think about it. Think about it. Is, is this the good direction we're going to? Because if the race ended behind the safety car, we still would have had Alonso get the podium, but we would have had the two Alpine cars get the finish that they deserved. They put the greatest race together with both drivers, especially Pierre Gasly. But towards the end of this race, when that red flag came out and both cars got wiped clean in that accident, and now they have to pay the expenses if the sport wasn't already expensive enough. Is, I don't know. Azerbaijan is coming up next. And I'm not too excited about that. I don't know what to say. Because the Australian Grand Prix, I want it to I want to look back at it with fondness. It was a great race, but it didn't need. And I said this before during the Texas Motor Speedway rant, which by the way, I'm not here to rant about. I already did that in my previous episode back in October. The Texas 500 last fall was a clowning unicycle show, and I'm surprised NASCAR hasn't made a unicycle series yet. That's how I felt about the Australian Grand Prix towards the final five laps of this race. There was no reason for a red flag. And if the race has to end under a safety car, sorry. But it's a race. The laps that preceded the attempt to have a green flag finish should also matter for the attempt to have a green flag finish. Have a rolling start at the end of red flags. Maybe the FIA needs to make a rule. And this is my other idea. If they, if, if they want to keep doing this. If the FIA wants to keep having the racist red flag to have 
you know, a finish under racing conditions, why not remove standing starts for any red flag that comes out in the second half of the race? I can see it. Let's do rolling starts. Let's go. Because they don't want to end the races on the red flag anymore. Usually, weather would play a role in that. Yeah. But, you know, or a severe incident, something like that, down those lines. If they want to salvage the race, how about we make it fair for the teams that worked hard to be in those positions and not make them start cold turkey from their grid box like it's lap one of the race? How about, and I know I'm not, Michael Massey, you know, funny enough, he was a guest. Not running the officials, but, you know, his vibes were definitely in this race. How about we have the second half of a Grand Prix, if it gets red flagged, only restart by a rolling start and make it fair. And I think there is an option, but it should be mandatory because we can't be having teams and drivers. We can't have competitors killing each other with a few laps to spare and all the points on the line. And we can't have those who deserve it lose what they should have earned. Yeah. Pierre Gasly put on one of his best races in this ground. I'm not a Gasly fan, but I, I have to use him as an example here. Um, Was it worth it? Was it worth Carlos Sainz losing his, his chance at the points because he of a penalty he sustained in the, the second to last restart? No. No. And by the way, they only red flagged it again to salvage those positions for the cars that were still running. That's why Alonso got himself the podium. Oh. But now that I got everything off my chest, you know, and the memes are coming out, the LFA's NASCAR, and I get it. I get it. Do you? Do you, sir? Uh, Do you, sir? I get it because I've seen it myself. We are NASCAR fans. This is nothing new to us. I'm a NASCAR fan. You're just a... I'm a NASCAR fan, too. I you prefer NASCAR. all more sports, though. Yes. But anyways, um, here's the World Championship. Uh, we don't have too much racing to preview, so we can continue on this F1 discussion. The World Championship, Max, is now three for three on the podiums. First, second, first. He is now 69 points to his name. Nice. nice. Sergio Perez from Mexico is in second in the championship at 54 points, 11 points ahead of Fernando Alonso. We know you love Fernando Alonso. I just want to see him win one more time after 10 damn years. Fernando Alonso. He is third, third, and third in the championship. 45 points. Does that mean the next championship, uh, the next few races in the world championship is going to be six, six, six? You're putting that bad juju on him. You're jinxing him. <laughs> We're putting the devil on Alonso, but he's driving like a devil this year. And that's what makes him so damn good. Like how you normally like to drive like a devil? Don't put the blame. Don't put that blame on me. Lewis Hamilton gets his first podium of the year. He jumps to fourth in the World Drivers' Championship. Carlos Sainz Jr. gets his first non-points race of the year. Ferrari getting zero points in total. He stays in fifth. Or drops of it. Lance Stroll moves up to six. George Russell, I thought he was going to be on the podium. At, might have had a car to win. He did lead some laps, but it just wasn't meant to be. His engine blew, and car caught on fire, and that was the end of his race. That's not the only thing. <laughs> Seventh place for him. Lando Norris finally gets points this year. Nico Hulkenberg, ninth. And Charles Leclerc is now uh, one for three in finishing in the points. 
for 2023. Uh, let's go down and look at the World Constructors Championship. By the way, a new record. We finally have, this is the quickest, and I think the first, yeah, the quickest that all teams entered in the World Tr Constructors Championship get points this early in the season. Mm -hmm. They all have points now. Red Bull, however, they pull away. They have 123 points to them. This is the first race that they don't have a double podium in the year. Well, this is the team that deserves all the credit. Aston Martin, the Ramco Mercedes. They have 65 points. And then Mercedes, AMG F1, with just Hamilton on the podium on Sunday. Uh, keep They stay in third at 56 points. And then it's a big drop down to fourth. You guessed it, Ferrari. Ferrari. No points at all. And they stay with 26 in total. McLaren Mercedes jump to fifth with a, their first points race of the year. Double points, six and an eighth. And they have 12 in total. Alpine Renault. This is frustrating. They were so close to being somewhere around third or fourth. Very well could have had a result like that. But instead, no points at all. They're both cars wiped out of the race. Rip. And they remain at six. In seventh place, Haas Ferrari. Haas Ferrari. They're one point behind, but they stay in seventh. Alfa Romeo, uh, Sauber, Ferrari in eighth with uh, six points. And then finally, Alfa Tori get their first point of the year. And Williams remain at one point after getting one from the opener in Bahrain. So the next race is the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in the capital city of Baku, which is... Baku! On the 30th of April. Um, and the race after that, no, I'm not going, but it is the Miami Grand Prix round five, and I get to enjoy it with nice air conditioning this time. We'll, we'll figure out ways to go. Uh, are we going to just drop from the sky? We'll figure out how to go. So we can drop from the sky? We can go on a Friday and watch practice. It's a lot of money. 60 bucks? 16? 60. Yeah, I know, six bucks just to watch practice. Yeah, I know. Isn't that bizarre? <laughs> yeah, unless they were actually having a few races going on. I Which I think they do. I know the Por last year the Porsche Cup and the W Series were there, but now we have none of them. Oh, really? And even then, the Porsche Cup was pretty much like a half-assed sprint race that spent most of the time But, but if they had like multiple races there going on on that Friday, yeah, I'd be down to watch, go watch yeah. that double, and practice. The W Series did have, have a doubleheader, so I didn't get to see race one in person. I only raced two because it fell on the Sunday. But I'll be feeling weird showing up. You're wearing a NASCAR hat or a IndyCar jersey. Uh, I think I wore my Senna shirt when I was at the Miami Grand Prix. I like the facility. I like the idea, but... I still want to go. F1 is really a closed-door society. You just have to be so expensive to be there. And, yes. And, and have a lot of money. Give it your whole fucking month or year to make it happen. You must be a millionaire to go there. One time is enough. Let's go to Montreal. Let's go. When? Good question. I don't think so. I'd probably have to take a look because I'd rather save some money to go to Le Mans down the road, but I'd like to hit all the boxes. Let me guess. You're going to want to drag me with you to Le Mans. Yeah, just uh, too bad to sell out. But the resale, by the way, if you guys are still interested to go to the 24 Hours of Le Mans, the resale has just begun for tickets that are already purchased. So that owners who want to give up their tickets, you know, they're, you know, that whole process started. I mean, first of all, it was sold out before Sebring weekend was even in the same month. I don't doubt it. 
Yeah, that's why you got to really be on your game. Probably right? because of that Garage 56 entry. Uh, it could be more reasons than that. I think it's really because of the LMDH and LMH cars. The top class finally being competitive at last. That know. too. But, the, you know, the Garage 56 thing is a nice add-on to everything else that's going on. Get Toyota to run for their money. Listen, Toyota did pretty good for what it's worth at Sebring. But... That's Sebring. Mm-hmm. And they had that experience in the bag. And a lot of these teams are still in very new cars. You know, you know Toyota, yes. the GR... Uh, oh, a GR010 hybrid has been around since 2021. Yes. So, yeah, they've already passed those endurance tests. Now they just have to pass the competition test. Anyways, um, let's talk about this weekend. We don't have too much. I know we have the holidays of Easter and Passover um, coming around. So, yay, crunchy food all. Masa. Great. From yeah. your local Jew yourself, Joe. <laughs> Your mom. <laughs> <laughs> but um, does that mean Todd Gibbs gets the win on Sunday? No. <sighs> Sorry, Steve. Ty Gibbs does not get the win on Sunday. He is racing. It'll be Kyle Busch. He has backed into it. Like last year. No, seriously. But the Bristol Dirt Race, it's gonna it's its third running of the event. Yep. Let's talk about that in, in itself. Is this good for NASCAR and dirt racing, or should NASCAR just do the right thing and go to a traditional dirt track? They should do the right thing. So we should be seeing Knoxville. We should be seeing Eldora. We should be seeing Oshwick and Speedway. We should be seeing, you know, I-55 or whatever. Volusia. Volusia. To go to my campground when I was at the Daytona 500 in Altoona Springs, Florida, we actually were on that big road, that long road that passed by Volusia County Speedway. Oh, so we need to go next year. I would love to go to Volusia County, but like I said, their events conflicted with Daytona, and you were just dead tired when you passed by it. So Well, well, well we can miss one of the Daytona races to go yeah. to that race. I would like to go to Volusia County on my own terms. Like, you know, maybe if we were there for the 400 and there was racing over there too. All right. Well, we know what it's we're doing. It's not that far of a drive. It's just we know what we're doing. Well, that's on the bucket list. Same with New Summer Speedway, but we're talking about dirt tracks here. Bristol Motor Speedway is not a bad dirt track, but I'd rather see NASCAR pay homage to the real dirt tracks. Yes. Eldora and the Truck Series deserves, or any NASCAR series, maybe try Xfinity for a change. Give that give that place another chance for a NASCAR top event because it was a banger, a barn burner every year that they had it. And that's amazing when coming to the 10-year anniversary of that first edition. Fine, let's put dirt on Daytona. On the backstretch, but we don't have grandstands there anymore. Well, let's just put a lot of dirt around the whole entire track. Okay, let's have fun on Enter 2003. How's that? Anyways, Bristol Dirt's coming up, and I know we have some entries that are confirmed or not. We have to go through heat races. Yes. Um, I don't know about LCQ. At least for Cup, because... I can't remember. They, they don't need to use it, but maybe the trucks have a process like that. Um, I know they had a different one for when they raced at Knoxville. Um, but for the regulars, we could talk about the Cup Series. I know we have some ringers like Jonathan Davenport. He's going to run for um, the team... Ch- uh, not Chandler Smith. Uh, Colleague Racing. Funny, the car Chandler Smith drove. As for the regulars, well, what we see another Reddick Bush, Briscoe show. Will we see Logano come out of the woods and win like he did last year? Will we see a dominating Shocker and Daniel Suarez? Remember, 
It was one of the first big showings of Trackhouse Racing in 2021. How about Martin Truex Jr.? We were talking about him. His first career win in the Truck Series came at Bristol Dirt. Yes. Can do it in the Cup Car. Um, what does the next gen have in an effect to um, change the ways that these cars run? Um, there's a lot to unpack here. But as for Bristol Dirt, there's one driver who I think wants to win this race more than anybody else. Kyle Larson. You just stole right out from me. Kyle Larson. Chase Briscoe. Kyle Larson. I already mentioned Briscoe. I already mentioned Reddick. I mentioned Bush. I did not mention Kyle Larson. And I was holding my horses because Kyle Larson has made dirt track racing very popular again. Because they really depend on a NASCAR Cup Series superstar to bring the relevance into the dirt tracks. They don't get any much recognition. You cannot just go on live TV and find a live dirt race. And that's what makes Bristol Dirt important to him. It might just be as important as the Daytona 500 or the Knoxville Nationals. But anyways, truck series, um, I don't know what to expect. Probably gonna become uh, one of the cup drivers winning this thing, but we are out of time. It's almost 2.30. We had a lot of racing to unpack. Hope you guys have a great holiday week, weekend. Chag uh, Happy Easter, all that. Um, happy Passover. And uh, guys, just hang in there. The semester is getting close to the end. Don't let go of the rope. Um, push hard. You know, we're in the final 10 laps of the season. Think of it like that. Uh, go Owls. Before we go off the air, who is going to win the NCAA championship? Now that we don't have to worry about our team. UConn. You're going to go with UConn? What about that performance by San Diego State? We all thought at San Diego State towards the end was okay, the but, but you also saw how UConn play against the Hurricanes. Yeah, it was really a one-sided show. Yeah, and, that's how it's going to be in the finals. And NCAA basketball ain't really much of a one-sided show when it comes to the tournament. So that's the end of the podcast. For my partner, Steve Verena. Hello. And myself, Joe Laney Palmon. Be sure to subscribe, or, or not subscribe, follow World Racing Media Twitter. I post there every day. Follow Owl Radio and subscribe to all of our platforms. So long. Owl Radio is FAU's student-run radio station streaming worldwide on FAUOwlRadio.com. We have shows, DJ on-campus events, give away free concert tickets and more. Make sure to check us out on social media at FAU Owl Radio.